Hello there, this is Dwayne McCreary. I'm the team leader for Adult Explore the Bible, and today I'm being joined by Mike Livingston. Mike, glad to be uh, that you're able to join us today. I'm glad to be here, thanks. Today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, which is our sixth session in our study of Ephesians. This particular lesson, uh, we look at God offering believers the strength they need uh, by Christ dwelling in us. Uh, chapter uh, 1 verses 15 through 23, if you'll remember that was in session two, we looked at one prayer that Paul had for the people in Ephesus. This is a second prayer that he has for the people in Ephesus. It has a different focus. Uh, first of all, he begins by stating that um, he petitioned for them. He resumes his thought from 3-1, declaring his humble prayer for his readers. His request was made to the Father who is the one from whom all other families receive their name. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. He then focuses on the indwelling of Christ. In verse 17, that's a key idea that Christ dwells in you. He revealed the contents of his prayer for his readers in, in verses 16 through 19, uh, that they would possess inner spiritual strength, deeper faith, abundant love, and God's fullness. All of these requests point to the person being indwelt by Christ. We are changed from the inside out because of the indwelling of Christ. He ends this prayer in verses 20 and 21 by talking about the majesty of God and the demonstration of that majesty in the church and in Christ. The focus here is that the church will bring glory to God. And believers, as believers, we should do that. We should seek to bring honor to God, demonstrating His majesty by doing so. So, Mike, let's just jump right in here. I mentioned in the introduction here about uh, Paul addressing God as being the, uh, the one who um, names every family. Um, how should we... Uh, understand or what should we make of how Paul introduces God in this passage? Yeah, well first, you know, he's he calls God Father and that I mean just that word right there is significant and and important and and speaks to our confidence and assurance in coming to God in prayer. Um as well as our unity as believers because he's speaking to Gentiles who are able to call God Father just as believing Jews. Uh, so even the word Father has a lot in it. Um, but then the further description of God as from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Um, the word family, Paul uses this word family there. And that, that's a word that can be used to mean different things. It can, mean, it can be used in the sense of a, of a nation, a tribe, a race, any group that shares the same ancestry would fall under that, the meaning of that. Word. So what does Paul have in mind? He, he could have in mind here just all people, every, every created being, the whole human race exists under one sovereign God could be what Paul had in mind. Or he could have had in mind all believers, the whole company of believers on earth and in heaven. And, but either way, um, there are two things that are true, what, what he's saying here, two things that we want to point out. One is to say that God is the one from whom all we are all named uh, means that we find our identity in Him. Um, our, our identity is found in Him and in our relationship with Him. 
would be one thing. But then another is that God's naming every family affirms something about him, that it affirms his authority, his sovereignty overall. If you remember that in the Old Testament, naming something meant having dominion over that thing named. When God created Adam, male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them. Uh, Adam, kind of ownership. Ownership, yeah, okay. authority, ownership. Adam named the, the animals and had dominion over them. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 40, verse 6, it talks about how God brings out the stars by number and calls all of them by name. Um, so it, it is that idea of ownership and authority or dominion over. So what, what, what we make of the way Paul addresses God in this prayer is one that we, we can come, in Christ we come to God as Father, not just Father of each of us individually, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come to Him as Father and we find our identity in Him, we live under His authority. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, we are told earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that we are sealed by the Spirit and that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. But here we're told that Jesus lives in us. Let's talk some about how all that works. Yeah, um, so we were, yeah, you mentioned chapter 1, verse 13, in Him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When, and I'm quoting from that verse, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and when you believed. So the, the when is important there. When were we sealed with the Spirit? Paul says, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of salvation, and when you believed. So at the moment of conversion, at the moment we hear the gospel and believe in the gospel, we receive the Holy Spirit at that point. Clearly, the Scripture teaches the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts at the moment of conversion. There are other places we could, we could, other verses we could quote and places we could look, but that's the clear and consistent teaching of Scripture, I believe, that we receive the Spirit when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But here uh, in Ephesians 3.17, Paul is praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Um, so, yeah, what is, what, is he, what is the meaning of that? Um, Let's think about who, remind ourselves of who Paul is writing to here. He's writing to believers who have already received the Holy Spirit. They've been sealed by the Spirit. Christ was living in them through His Holy Spirit. Already, Christ was living in them through His Holy Spirit. So when Paul prays for Christ to dwell in their hearts, he's not praying for the presence of Christ in their hearts, but that Christ would be prominent and preeminent in their hearts. So the key word there is this dwell word. Dwell is, is the word um, that, that Christ would dwell or be at home in their hearts. And that's the meaning of the word dwell, to be at home, um, that he would feel at home in their hearts is kind of what, what that word means. I remember as a teenager, um, there was a, a little booklet that made an impact on me. It's called My Heart, Christ Home. And uh, it was written by Robert Boyd Munger in like 1951, I think. And, and it's a little book, um, it's, and you can still find it. You can find it for free on the internet. You can find the PDF for, for free. Uh, it's just a little booklet. And in this book, it invites you, invites us to imagine Jesus coming into your house as a house guest. And you want him to feel at home in, in your house. And he's walking through in the book, he's walking through each room of your house, and each room of your house represents an area of your life. 
So he goes into the library, and that's the kinds of things you think about. Then he goes into the dining room, and that represents your desires, your appetites, your wants. He goes into the living room, the workroom, the rec room, and, and you, you gladly give him access to all of those rooms in your house. But in the closet upstairs, a hall closet upstairs, that's where you keep a few things you don't really want Jesus to know about or to see. And you keep that little closet locked. You keep things locked away in there so he doesn't see them. But Jesus can smell, smell the stench coming from that closet. And so he says, there's something dead in here. It's upstairs. I think it's in that hall closet. And you're thinking, okay, I've given you access to every other room. I've given you the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the playroom. And now you're asking me for this little two-by-four closet? And you realize that, yeah, exactly, he wants it all. And so you say, okay, Jesus, I'll give you the key to that closet, but you're going to have to open that closet door, and you are going to have to clean it out because I just don't have the strength to do it. Mm. And so Jesus, just he says, just give me the key. And I think that little booklet uh, is, is just an attempt to illustrate what Ephesians 3.17 means for Christ to dwell in our hearts. It means he, he can fill at home in our, in our hearts. Well, part of it too, when we dwell in a home, when we live in a home, we live in every square inch of that thing. Yes. We, we know where everything is, theoretically. <laughs> yes. But it is ours. Every, every square inch of that home is mm-hmm. ours. Yeah. And so this points to that reality is that Jesus has access and should have access to every square inch yeah. of our lives. That's kind of what that book is getting to, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Okay, good. Um, it, it, in the quick source, the Dig Deeper uh, section, it talks about us ignoring sometimes praying for spiritual growth. We see here that Paul prayed that they would comprehend the, comprehend the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. Why is it so important for that to be something that we do uh, when many times we don't even think about the need to pray for our own spiritual growth? Yeah, I, I love the way he says it in verse 19, you know, to know what surpasses knowledge. It almost sounds like a contradiction, you know, to know what surpasses knowledge. But it's a way of saying God's love is, uh, while we can know something of God's love, his love is unfathomable and, and it's, or it's immeasurable. But by praying for them to know what surpasses knowledge, Paul was praying they, that they could and that they would learn more of God's love as they grow in their faith. So while we can't fully explain and understand His love, we can experience His love. And so he's praying here, as you pointed out, he, that they would understand the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. And you think about those terms, length, width, height, depth. Those, those are terms associated with any three-dimensional object. And what's interesting is you find those terms grouped together in some other places in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, when it's, in, when it's talking about the Ark of the Covenant, for example, in Exodus 37, 1 and 2, the measurements of the Ark of the Covenant are given by length, width, and height. Or the, or, or the temple, Solomon's temple, 1 Kings mm-hmm. 6, 2 and 3, the measurements of the temple are given with the same, uh, in the same dimensions, length, width, height. And so while love is, is a nebulous term, love is kind of hard to, to, to define in some way, but in, in Paul's way of thinking, in, in, in using these terms, he's saying that the love of God is concrete, it's measurable, it's so real that you can measure it. And so using these dimensional terms to speak of God's love says to us that the love of God is just as real as the Ark of the Covenant was or, the, or Solomon's temple was, and it's something that you can know. It's something you can experience firsthand. We experience God's love in Christ. We know it by the cross. An exciting part of that 
too, is if it's beyond what we can know, then that means there's more for us to explore and more for us to learn each and every day. We don't quit learning more and more about God's love. That's right. In the personal study guide and in the daily discipleship guide, it's pointed out that when Paul is making this prayer, voicing and wording this prayer, that he's in prison, there's this statement that nothing can prevent us from lifting up others to the Father. It didn't prevent Paul from doing that here uh, while he was in jail, praying for the folks in Ephesus. How can we emphasize this statement while leading our class? Well, let's, let's make prayer uh, just an integral part of our group time, of, of our class time. Prayer is not just a way to start the class or end the class. It's not just the signal <laughs> that class is over. Um, so you might pray for and feel you know, free to do this. Hopefully you feel free to do this, and you will, to, to pray for an express need that might come to light right in the middle of class, right in the middle of teaching a session. You, there might be a, a need that's expressed. And, and you know, okay, stop what you're doing and pray, right? Right then, at that may make that, some folks pay attention to what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So just just make it a part of the group time, and not just something you you, you tack on to the end or a way of opening up the class. Rather, it's just it's an integral part of the group experience. And and to follow Paul's example, make praying specifically specific prayers and specific prayers for the spiritual growth of one another. That ought to be just a part of the culture of. Of your class, um, <clears throat> you know we're we're quick and 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 often our, our our prayer is kind of focused on you know praying for you know someone in the hospital or you know or some and, and those are legitimate things we need to be praying for. But how often do we really pray for the spiritual growth of one another in our classes? And and how would our praying for one another change? And how would our groups change if we prayed for one another like Paul prayed? for the Ephesian believers. So would we be able to think of it in these terms, that, that instead of praying for a life of no pain, we pray for understanding of how to deal with the pains of life? Yeah, yeah, that God would even use the pain to, to uh, do His work in us, yeah. So, so then that produces spiritual growth in us. Yeah. And we, by doing that, then we also begin to understand the length, width, height, and depth of God's love, His grace, mm -hmm. His mercy, everything that He is. Yes. Mike, thank you for visiting with us today. We're halfway through almost. This is session six. We're halfway through, nearing halfway through, through our study of Ephesians. If you have comments you'd like to share with us about our study, please feel free to do so. You'll notice in the front uh, in the masthead, that's where all the legal stuff is listed. You can find my email, and you'll find an address where you can send letters as well. Let me just go ahead and give you that email. It's Dwayne, D-W-A-Y-N-E, dot McCrary, M-C-C-R-A-R-Y, at Lifeway.com. You can send me those comments, and I'll be happy to share those with the rest of the team. Or if you have a question and I can't find the answer, I promise to find that answer for you. Thank you much, and God bless.